2: And on this episode, a famous actress struggles to come to terms with an abusive relationship. Evan Rachel Wood goes public with her truth in the HBO documentary Phoenix Rising. Joining me to talk about that and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin.
3: Hello, Rebecca.
2: Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of Dead on Deadline, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hello, Rebecca. And finally, our resident doubting Thomas, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast and our own Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby.
4: Hiya, Rebecca.
2: So, Kevin, uh, before I ask what's coming up on next Monday's show, can we just mention one quick thing about Laura's intro? Mm Mm-hmm. There was a pet detective on this week's episode of <gasps> To Tell the Truth. That's right. Um, did you watch that? I did. Wa- Anybody else watch it? No. Nope. I had to dip out and go to bed because okay. I was sick. So but- they set
3: up, of course, the show based on the classic game show. Anthony Anderson's the host. They bring in three people and a, a panel of celebrities has to guess which one of them is telling the truth. They all say, I am a French chef. And then they ask them questions and only one of them is really a French chef. The other two are lying. So one of them comes up and it's like, I am a pet detective. And so they were asking questions about how long have you been in it and what do you do? And so this pet detective, she has three dogs that are like search dogs and they will Mm -hmm. go and search for missing pets and snakes and shit like that.
5: What was her name? Uh, I might know her from the pet detective circles.
3: Uh, it was Tara Brickster. Was it no. a woman? It was a woman. Yeah, the woman was the actual pet detective. Were you able to sounds guess Sounds like those per- dogs might be the actual detectives, to be honest Yeah, yeah really.
5: Well, they, they work in tandem. I learned about it in pet yeah. detective school. <laughs> Did you, were you able to guess
2: which person it was based on the answers? No, I, was
3: gonna, I guess that it was the guy, uh, the Sexist. older guy. Well, hold on, hold on. The older guy with the short haircut and everything, because he seemed like he was like law enforcement type. And actually, it was like a double thing. So like once the pet detective left, the two people left, and then it was, no, they're actually something else. He was a blood spatter expert. Oh. So I was like, he has something on him. And that's why I thought it was him. But I didn't guess that he was- Blood spatter pattern? That sounds like
4: a BS expert. BS, yeah. And, well, yeah, well.
5: Well, no, wasn't that what um, Dexter was?
3: Yes. Yeah, remember that was with the guy in the staircase. Yes. Uh had, had Yeah, he's just bullshit. smashed the sponge. Yes, yeah.
5: Speaking of which, that
2: staircase film is coming out. Oh, oh. yeah, I yeah. saw that. A Can't lot of wait. good stuff coming.
3: I
4: think what's her face? Uh, Stephen Avery's lawyer was big into that stuff.
5: Yeah. yeah, I remember she had real blood for her She was, I don't know, yeah. I was like, where'd she get her real blood? So what's the real bullshit?
3: The blood pattern or the pet detective?
5: Oh, the blood spatter
3: yeah, yeah, uh, the, oh, uh, the,
5: other,
2: the other to tell the truth person Was a silhouette artist Who kidding. in 90 <laughs> seconds you would turn sideways And you could cut out a perfect picture of your face
4: <laughs> <laughs> It
2: was very impressive, I will say You know who was on
4: uh, To Tell the Truth Back in the day was Barney Hill
2: Yes, that's ah. right. Like, which
4: one of you guys ah. got abducted by, by aliens? Yeah, I had, I had a clip. There's a clip of it on Strange Arrivals. It's, yes. it's pretty weird.
2: Yes. Which one of you men was traumatized by your kidnapping by aliens?
3: Yep. All of us.
2: <laughs> I mean, maybe the other two were and they just didn't remember.
4: Right. Yeah. That's the usual (laughs) story.
2: (laughs) All right. So, Kevin, uh, what is coming out on next Monday's edition of Crime Writers On?
3: We're going to be talking about the Hulu series, the Girl from Plainville.
2: Oh, that is starring Elle Fanning.
3: Yeah, it's the Michelle Carter case. Remember the I Love You Now Die"? Yeah, that's
2: actually getting a lot yeah. of buzz because it. Um, I read about it today. It actually slightly fictionalizes some versions of the story. I read this an article about it in the LA Times. Well,
3: let's talk about it on Monday.
2: Okay, well, we have something to talk about tonight that is uh, pretty heavy, so I think that we should probably get to it and um, play that first clip. Okay, Kevin? All right, All right let's play that. And... My friends and I looked at each other and we literally said, Who is this Marilyn Manson wannabe? Teenage actress Evan Rachel Wood turned heads with her unlikely relationship with much older shock rocker Marilyn Manson. Behind the scenes, the musician's love bombing morphed into physical, emotional, and
6: sexual violence. My night terrors were really bad. I had a lot of chronic pain. I would lie about things that I didn't need to lie about. And I didn't know why.
2: So I went and got help. Though she never explicitly named Manson as her abuser, Wood has identified as a domestic violence victim and has spent the past years advocating for the cause. But the more she learned about herself and other victims of Manson... Wood decided she must confront her past, regardless of fallout.
6: Law enforcement has reached out to some of the other survivors, and once Brian finds out that there's an investigation and the survivors are speaking to each other, I don't know what he'll do. He'll know that he's cornered, and he's a dangerous person.
2: The two-part HBO documentary, Phoenix Rising, lets Wood tell her complete story for the first time. She recounts the evolution of a classically abusive relationship elevated by a world of rock and roll excess and violence as an art form. It also shows in real time her struggle with the legal system and threats from Marilyn Manson fans. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from Phoenix Rising. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. So, Kevin, you were hesitant going into this documentary. Why?
3: Well, because, you know, I feared that this might be, when it headlines a celebrity like this, that it might be a celebrity playing tourist in the world of domestic violence. But I was, uh, I hate to use the word please, but I'm so glad that. It wasn't that, and I was so shocked at Evan Rachel Wood's personal story. I mean, we kind of knew bits and pieces of it. I wasn't following it very closely, but this is a real personal look and a gripping look at her story, and yeah, even though we do see her kind of doing other things within the movement, the focus remains on her, and that's for the best.
2: Yeah, I just kept thinking, Laura, this entire time I was watching this, you know, we have Seen and reviewed things that Evan Rachel Wood has been in on this show, namely Westworld, in which she plays a character that is a robot that was built to be abused and raped. That was front of mind for me the entire time I watched this. What were you thinking as you watched her tell this story?
5: I just kept like having certain things, like certain words, that I was just like, This is brave, this is raw, this is real. And also, holy shit, I can't believe she was acting and taking jobs and doing all that she was doing while all of this horrific, violent, sadistic abuse was happening. And that she was able to appear composed and professional when we're seeing her in these other roles was just amazing. But just also the way that she really just put herself out there in this was very brave, and it was very authentic in the way that she talked about what happened to her in a very honest way, and, you know, we saw her very vulnerable.
6: He broke me down through means of starvation, sleep deprivation, and threats against my life, sometimes with deadly weapons, which would result in me having severe panic attacks where I was unable to breathe or stop shaking. Sometimes he would not allow me to sleep until I participated in acts of fear, pain, torture, and humiliation.
5: When you see somebody like her that's well-known, that's in this, this public position, I think her coming forward and putting herself out there in the way that she did is going to give perhaps others, you know, everybody's got a different situation, but maybe some courage because she's somebody that is very accomplished and she's coming forward and she's showing herself in this vulnerable position and she's telling it like it really was. And it was, it was just uh, it, pretty amazing. Did you find yourself, Laura, wondering if she
2: was able to do the Dolores role, A, first of all, whether or not she did that role and it was painful for her, or whether or not that role was in some way cathartic for her? Yeah. I I don't know. I just found myself thinking, like, I mean, that role is brutal. That is a brutal role where, like, there are scenes in that show where we watch the same rape scene get played over and over and over again. Remember, there's like those loops. Yeah. Like, I, I did find myself wondering is like, is this in some way? I mean, first of all, is this her? It's just her reenacting her own trauma? Or maybe this is in some way her like catharsis. I don't know. I mean, I just as a woman, I just couldn't even wrap my head around it.
5: Yeah. Or is she at that point like totally dissociated and, and just somehow able to pull it off? I don't know. Yeah. So, Toby... Let's just
2: talk about the Marilyn Manson thing. At one point, he is described by someone in the documentary in a way that it was just so perfect, the wolf in wolf's clothing, right? But like the whole nonconformist vibe He's able to sort of play this thing. And we see him in these clips like, well, you know, let's you're not supposed to do what you're not supposed to do. Maybe that's your religion, not not your daughter's religion. Not, do, you know, this whole role of not doing what society says, being an outsider. But that has how other connotations in this case, too. Can you just talk about that a little
4: bit? I, I, there's a few things going on, I think. But, you know, his sort of stick and I guess I didn't really have much of a sense of Marilyn Manson. I kind of thought he was sort of a buffoon, but you're not wrong, yeah, but not this kind of buffoon, I guess but but the whole you know reject the morality that society's kind of foisting on you. feel free to be yourself and and be a nonconformist. There's a certain level at which that's probably an empowering message for particularly adolescents who are feeling alienated. But the the thing is, is that there's this huge, like, vast group of actions and behaviors that fall under sort of nonconformist, and some of them are bad, you know? And I think it's easy for him to use this sort of very hardcore nonconformity as a way of excusing his sadistic behaviors and justifying them and saying, you know, I'm pushing boundaries, this is like revolutionary or whatever.
5: There's two levels to what I do. There's the artistic level,
4: which is meant to reach people who are open-minded and enjoy things like music.
5: And then there's uh, the provocative level that's meant to piss people off.
4: I think that kind of, I don't know if in his mind, but I think in other people's mind, kind of gave him more leeway to act in ways that would be bigger red flags if it was for somebody else. And I I think probably gets people in the mindset that stuff that he's doing should be expected more. Again, like his persona, I kind of always sort of felt that that was like directed towards like 16 and 17 year olds, you know, Mm. mostly is like, you know, when you're really ready to give the finger to the man and do what you want to do. But there was like this much sort of darker, more narcissistic misogynistic sadistic side to it which he kind of hints at in a way that seems like it's almost like play acting in his stage and then his videos except for the one where he apparently raped his girlfriend yeah but then there's a reality behind it that's super super dark and and criminal
3: and real you know tell me the thing about like celebrity personas is, is that sometimes the extreme cases they actually provide the cover. Like with Cosby, the reason he was able to get away with it for so long was that his persona was he was saintly, right? So no one would ever suspect him of doing those things. But Manson's persona, gee, his cover is the same as Michael Jackson's, where it's just a little two on the nose, right? That it seems like, well, no, he's, this is like a performance art, right? So it's, he talks about, oh, no, this is high art, and it's all his violent Nazi dog whistle goth persona things in, in concert like well he, he's so smart when he's talking about it that's like all in act Alice Cooper Ozzy Osbourne you know they were kind of like in the same vein right Ozzy
2: Osbourne was but, a k- sweet dad who pretended right, to eat right. a pigeon head. well
3: that's what I'm saying <laughs> Alice Cooper you know had the snake and the in the eye mascara and stuff like that but off stage they weren't anything like that but the fake Manson is not the stage presence manson we find out no the fake manson is the one who's talking all highfalutin about nonconformity and high art and shit like that it's like no he's just a sadist you know and a nazi and a nazi apparently that to me was so incredibly
2: disturbing like so incredibly disturbing so Laura, you have to appreciate like a good like buddy detective situation, right? And that is what uh, Rachel and her friend, I think it's Ilma, have here, where they're sitting in their house combing through evidence and emails. I sort of felt like, hopefully better circumstances, that's how you and I would be, like looking for dirt mm-hmm. on a bad guy, right?
5: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that I was so excited when that part came on because I was getting so pissed off at all these other things that were happening. And I was just like, just like sick over things and then this part came and I was like that's it girls you get him and I was like waiting to see what they were but they were really diligent and at one point I thought her friend might have been a lawyer the way that she was like looking things up and calling her we got this we got that we're gonna use this I'm trying to look at the date how do you even have these
2: <laughs> I've kept this journal since I was 15 I kept
5: it for three years and then thought I lost it all
6: here we go <laughs> I made a new friend.
5: It makes you wonder, like, when this hopefully gets to a point where uh, Marilyn Manson is hopefully held accountable and called to task for this awful, abusive behavior, I hope that these women and some of the information that they were able to pull together, some of that is what really puts the nail in his coffin in terms of what happens to him. But also, it's empowering that they were able to go and look this up, and they were not going to just sit there and do nothing. They're like, we're going to take matters into our own hands. And I'm like, yes, you are. And I would do the exact same thing, as would Rebecca. I don't know about Toby, but Probably not. Um, I, would, I would do it for you, Toby, if, if you needed me to look up information like that.
0: BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America.
6: Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts
3: Guys, let's lighten up for a second here and talk about some business. All right. Let's talk about uh, what we have going on on Patreon. What
2: do we have going on, on Patreon, Kevin? Well,
3: right now you can get our latest episode of Married With Podcast. You can. Yeah, one of the topics we discuss is how do I tell my conservative parents about my polyamorous relationship? Yes. The answer <laughs> is don't. No, yeah, I was about to say, <laughs> that seems quite obvious. The
2: answer is, it's, it might be more complicated than we are able to explain.
3: Yeah, there's only two of us in this relationship. <laughs> Get so. the lawyers involved. Yeah, uh, also we've got a new episode of Leave it to Bricker coming out. As we know that Laura was hosting everybody at last weekend's Exeter Lit Fest, where Toby and I also joined in some of the fun festivities. We'll talk about all of that on next week's After Show, mm. but uh, Laura is sharing her adventures. Yes. Also, it's not too late tonight. If you're on Patreon and you're supporting us at the Crime Writers on Sponsor Nation level, what's the level? That sounds good. At that level? Well, you can tune in live to Toby's recording of the next Deep Dive Book Club podcast. He's going to be talking about The library book. It's
2: like a fake book title. It's not
3: a fake book title. It
2: sounds like the title. It's like a slug title for like, (laughs) you haven't decided what the book is going to be yet. So you're just like, we're
3: just going to call it the library book. Yeah. And was it Susan Orleans? Is that the... Orleans? Orlean's?
4: Yeah. Yeah. She's a great writer and she's written some some really good books.
3: And a
2: wonderful wine drinker too.
4: Yes. She has quite (laughs) a social media presence. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah. So... It's me, as usual, but with Janet Varney and Sarah Debunting and Doctor Shiloh from LA Not So Confidential.
2: Kevin, you know about Susan Orlean's famous drunken Twitter escapades, right?
5: Oh, I. I try. do. It was hysterical. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. When it kept going on and on. She took to Twitter and, and
2: she was like, "FYI, guys, I, Susan Orlean, am drunk." Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I've
4: and I've pissed off my entire family, and they're really angry at me.
3: Ah, <laughs> uh, so uh, we have one last piece of business, Rebecca.
2: Yes, Kevin. Before we do, though, how do people get all that Patreon content?
3: Oh well, it's at Crime Writers On. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, it's not there. It's at it's at Patreon.com/slash Partners in Crime Media. You've
2: asked me to say it. Hey,
3: there's a link there at Crime Writers On. All right, You'll Kevin.
2: Uh, before we wrap up the business section, do we have any Patreon patron saints? Of the week this week,
3: our Patreon patron saints are Jennifer Hilton and Mary Phelps. Bless you.
5: Bless you, Jennifer Hilton. I know her.
3: Ooh, you do.
5: She lives in my area. Yeah, well, I met her. You mean she lives Uh, in our
3: area, Lara?
5: She lives in our area. She well, she lives closer to me actually. Okay. Lars claiming her. I'm claiming her because she recently provided me with some behind-the-scenes intel about my investigation into the bleep bleep spa. (laughs) The
3: spa. The bleep bleep spa. Oh, my goodness. All
2: right. Well, thank you guys for being our Patreon. Patrons saints of the week this week. Thank you for everyone who supports us on Patreon. And uh, should we get back to the show? Let's do that. Thus ends the business section. Toby, one of the things that I really want to talk about here is Evan's family, because that's a big part of the story. Now, she grew up in this family of actors. She had these parents who were present, but not present at all when she was growing up in her times of need. Um, Can you just talk about how that plays out in the film? Because she has relationships with them now, in particular with her dad now, but and they're in the film. But. There really is a very classic American story here of, you know, a child of divorce, then going through this journey and also of a child actress who became a professional at what, like six or five. She got her SAG card and then was an actor, a working actor from when she was very young. She never stopped working. You know, she got her first big film when she was. Teen-ish. She filmed 13 when she was 14, I think, or she, she had a film before that. But then she, she never stopped working after that. And she just worked constantly, constantly, constantly. But really a very classic American story behind that uh, with these family dynamics. What do you think about all that?
4: Right. So she was in an acting family. She was homeschooled and sheltered enough that she was very sexually naive at a very like advanced age. Yeah, I mean, her parents separate, and it sounds like it's a pretty raw situation, like, before they do. And, I mean, my sense was her, her father's a narcissist. You know, there's times when Evan Rachel Wood is in crisis and tries to get in touch with him. He's like, oh, I've got a play tonight, you know, I'm acting tonight, and she's like uh okay and he says later well you know when i was sick and my kids came and i didn't realize that that's what you have to do that's how you you know support it's like dude everybody knows that you know everybody knows that that's what you do like that's
2: what understudies are for you're
4: you're not learning you know you should have learned that a long time ago anyway and then the mom so this is a weird thing that kind of gets hinted at but they don't go into too much and like There's a certain estrangement from her mom, and she talks about how Marilyn Manson kind of manipulated that and sort of fomented it, but the way it worked was he tells her, why don't you take a look at your finances, because her mom was her manager and was taking care of her finances, take a look at your finances, and she says, yeah, I did take a look, and I did not like what I saw, and then it gets dropped, right? Mm -hmm. So you don't know exactly what's going on, but... You know, something was going on financially, or at least her perception was something was going on financially that I think added to that strain. And then when you see them together in the documentary, I mean, my sense was that there was like some tension or there was some separation between them. You know, the body language wasn't so much her mom supporting her while she talks about these really difficult things on camera. They're sort of sitting somewhat apart. Uh, It seems like she reconciled with her father a little bit more. Who knows what's going on there. But it is interesting that when she finally kind of makes a break and flees and goes to this house in the south somewhere, it's her brother who comes. Like her parents. I mean, maybe her parents came and it just wasn't shown on camera. But what you see in the documentary is her brother shows up. So, yeah, I mean, I think the models that she had for relationships probably wasn't that great. And then I think, you know, she's an actress, like Rebecca was saying, from a young age and homeschooled, and just, I think her perception of the world was based on a fairly limited sample, which, you know, might have made her more vulnerable, I don't know.
2: Yeah, well, there's a whole thing about, like, the acting economy. And its I, I was thinking about the finances thing because I, I'm not going to go as far to say like her mother was ripping her off. I mean, it's, that, that may not be what was happening. But if her mother was her agent and her manager, her mother then was making a living off of Evan Rachel Wood's income. That's how it works, right? Yeah. Her living was based on Evan Rachel Wood's living. And even if it was above board, even if it was like I'm taking the same 10% or 15% that the people doing those jobs would be doing, that's also your mother, right? right. It's a <laughs> so reversal
4: it's a, of the normal roles.
2: How are you nurturing someone when you are also dependent on them working? Like, how are you then gonna say, No, honorable you're sick, take the day off when your living is dependent on them not taking the day off? It's like the the Britney Spears conundrum, right? And that's you know, people joke that this is why Chris Kardashian has so many kids so that she some of them can take a day off once in a while, right? <laughs> um so yeah, it's 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 messed up. And I agree with you about the dad being a narcissist. And I agree with you about the whole situation just being really broken from the start and heartbreaking from the start. I mean, they seem to all be, for lack of a better word, like well intentioned, just broken. Like they don't seem like evil people. They just seem like fucked up people, except for Evan and her brother, who seem like lovely people who are sort of products. Of of these parents. Um, Kevin, this is not important, but you and I both noticed it. The art direction in this documentary is just so lovely.
3: Yeah. I mean, it is one of the things that we often talk about. Uh, you know, you don't want to do necessarily a lot of recreations, but you have to come up with some kind of B-roll. They did some art here, and it was very evocative of, like, uh, Highlights Magazine or Little Golden Books. It, it looked like a, ch- a child's literature. That sort of... Um, you know big uh, kids with like really big drawn eyes and whatnot, and I think you know they were really going for this brother's grim kind of fairy tale idea that this is a um, you know a cautionary tale in the way that you know, big bad wolf is or something like that. I do think it was pretty great when she was explaining about when she was a child, and she was confused about her genitals. They happened to have like all of a sudden these squid tentacles. Coming up from under her dress, I it was, it was one of the few moments of levity in this story of growing up.
6: I remember looking at my genitals one day as a young girl and thinking, what is this? I don't even know if this is right. And having no way to ask anyone. But I just
2: remember thinking, like, there's no way that's right. <laughs> but that was also such a great illustration of her naivete when she, like, saw her own private parts and she was like, I think I'm the only one in the world with these yeah but then the way she found out she wasn't both by seeing porn and she's mm-hmm. like oh thank God thank God because she had nobody to, I, she had nobody to ask true like,
3: I don't think that she's probably the only person in the world ever to have that no no that she's not. But, 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 but yeah but yeah,
2: imagine yeah. growing up in a world where it's like she's in that world yeah and like but that's like it's
3: another data point on a certain it's another data yeah, point on yeah, it, yeah.
2: exactly and then to be so old and then you're also in films where your first kiss is on camera when you're 14 years old with what like a 20 year old guy Mm -hmm. and I forgot I mean I've actually I remember seeing 13 and I I know I remember Ava Rachel Wood as a child actress but Laura it didn't occur to me how completely sexualized every single role she had was when she was a young person what did you think of that series that you saw that she kept getting cast again and again and again as, like, the sexy Lolita temptress when she was a teenager.
5: Yeah, well, and I think that sort of, like, warrants, like, a larger conversation because she's clearly not the only young child female actress in Hollywood that was sexualized, you know, at that young age. But I think it's like she has that one role, and then that's how she's she's cast. You know, there's no going back, but it's like, you know, moving to Hollywood. Her parents are separated. She's a child star. She's in that—it was, like, 13 was the movie, right? Yeah. About messed up teenagers. Yeah. And she's 14 and she talks about how, you know, it was uncomfortable because she had to make out with this like 20 something year old and she had never like kissed before. And then when that came up later was when she's now with like Marilyn Manson and the extent of her like sexual experience is like her on screen experiences. But, you know, they really did a good job framing that with how, not only it fit into the bigger context of Hollywood, but also how that then played into the role that she then found herself in when she gets involved with Marilyn Manson and how there was sort of this skewed version of, it was just her perception of sexuality was so different just because of those experiences that she had. But that doesn't negate any of the horror, which again was, I say this every time we watch one of these documentaries, but this particular sexual assault, physical abuse, and just the level of torture and mind control and everything was so horrific that it just was on a different level for me. Yeah. I, I don't know about you guys, but this I, I was like one of my friends when I started watching this was like buckle up and I'm like, oh man, yeah. This is just It's really bad.
3: Can I ask you guys a question here that I, I'm just I can't figure out. I don't mean to be obtuse, but it seems like part of the the drama around this is that she has yet to identify Marilyn Manson. Everyone knows. That's, that's, that's Why not, yeah. Like why is why is that really a big secret? Yeah, no, at it's, the not, time? it's not and a secret,
2: that, it's a big deal for her to say because right. when she says it she knows she's gonna be vulnerable to him.
3: Uh-huh. It's making
2: her legally liable. It's making her liable, like it, like okay. she's still shielded by his fans. Some of his fans are still saying, "Well, she's never said his name or whatever." Right. It's making her more publicly vulnerable.
3: Okay, because for us, I mean, like you know, it's like, well, there's this famous relationship. It's like, well, who else could it probably be? You know, so it just Absolutely. it seemed like okay. It, thank you for providing that. I was like, it's, well, it's, why?
2: It's one thing to say as a famous person, I was a victim of sexual domestic violence. Another thing to say as famous person, this other famous person committed. Yeah. Sexual domestic. I kinda lost the
3: distinction between revealing the abuse and confirming the abuse. Yeah, which is okay.
2: Okay. So yeah, but it is different. I mean when you put someone's name in the public sphere and commit them accuse them of a crime, it's different than saying I'm the victim of a crime. You know what I'm
3: saying? Yeah, yeah. It's
2: just, there is a line to cross there. Okay. So I I just have a question too, just about sort of the casting thing. Because Toby, I found myself thinking about this because there's a lot of young actresses who get typecast, like in highly sexualized roles, right? The thing that occurred to me about Evan Rachel Wood was is that she was cast in a lot of like prestige, like art film. I mean, she was cast with Holly Hunter in like a highly sexualized role. Like she wasn't cast in like these BD movies like she was in well-reviewed arty a-list kind of projects in these roles and i wonder like how that kind of played into her lack of protection in a way and sort of like the invisibility of the abuse and our inability to believe that she could be in a situation like this it's weird to me because i think that like It almost made it like, how could Marilyn Manson be as bad a guy as we think if he's with this woman who is, you know, it's one thing. I don't know. It's like, I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it's almost like being with her gave him cover in a way like that's one of the reasons why she may have been appealing to him because she was of a different like genre of star because previously. He was married to Dita Von Teese, who was this, um, Burlesque, a burlesque dancer. She's also very beautiful and very famous, but for from like a different sort of like class of celebrity. Right. And I think Evan Rachel Wood was sort of like from this more A-list, pristine, obviously much younger. But I wonder if like she appealed to him because it maybe like felt like it gave him more cover because that's I kept getting that vibe.
4: Yeah, I don't I don't know. The whole thing like I could see where again, she would find his message when she's 18 to be fairly mm-hmm. compelling. Right. But beyond that, I mean, and she talks about it at first that she was not like initially attracted to him and stuff. And that, that in fact, you know, it was over the course of time that he sort of groomed her or seduced her or however you want to, you know, characterize it. Yeah. I just, you know, I I was sort of, you know, a little surprised by the lack of sort of, I don't know if infrastructure is the right word, but like support that Evan Rachel would for somebody who's very well-known actress and I'm sure you know must have had plenty of money the fact that she didn't have anybody who was looking after her at all in this situation and then you know when she picks up and leaves I mean she just goes with her kid to this house I was like you don't have like people you don't don't have like a yeah a person or two who can go with you and like buy your groceries and get your stuff set up I mean you just got to do this all by yourself so I, I was yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how like real movie stars live. I know what I saw in entourage. So I was I was a little surprised <laughs> by by that. Right. That she's no, really I seemed was too. isolated.
2: Yeah, I mean, I know people who are less famous than her who have assistants who go out and buy them shit. You know, that's just it did seem surprising to me, too, that she does seem to live at a smaller scale. And I wonder if that's just because she's used to not being supported. And so she does live that way. She does seem like she's been isolated. And so she continues to be isolated. It's, It's it's sad. It's sad. I mean, there's a sadness to it, you know?
4: Yeah. I mean, she did. She clearly didn't have anybody who had her best interests in mind during that period of time. And even the people who would have been inclined to step in, you know, they owed Manson their livelihood right so they, so they Mm. didn't do it
2: so Laura one thing always occurs to me is that um you know we have all these women who finally come out at the end and say yes I was also abused by Marilyn Manson in the same way yes I was and it's so cathartic all these women come together they have all the same stories Evan Rachel Wood really breaks down when one man is like oh yeah she's not lying I saw it And that's all it takes. It always takes like a man, right? To say, yes, this really happened to make you not feel crazy. Can you talk about that?
5: Yeah, I think that was one of the most powerful scenes in this whole documentary. And I think because of the setup, the backstory when she was talking about when Manson would just be like smashing things after and like just throwing shit everywhere and like hitting her and doing everything else and people are seeing it. And there was this one scene she described where she was like, Looking at somebody that worked for him, like who was about to shut the door while Manson is just like having this berserk moment. And she's like, Don't leave me here. Help me. Help me. And he just shuts the door. And you hear so many stories about the people that are working around him just like turning away. And they're like, Oh, okay. So when you have one of those people that was, you know, so blatantly just enabling this behavior, come forward, I just can't even imagine how just overwhelming that was for her because it was such a break from, I don't want to say the company line, but like such a break from like that company line of the people around Manson just not validating anything real that actually happened and just carrying on and letting him do all this shit. So that one man who came forward was then with the women. I thought that was very, very powerful. And I think that that part was just like. There is so much horrible, horrible, just nauseating to watch parts of this. So when you have that moment, it's like, okay, it's not totally hopeless. There are some people that might actually have a conscience and might actually not be total assholes surrounding this guy, you know?
2: Yeah. And unfortunately, that's very often what it takes when, you know, you could have all the women in the world step
6: up, but as soon as one man does, people pay attention, right? VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients.
1: As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop.
6: Learn more at meta.com
0: So Ikea makes storage affordable.
2: All right, so let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Phoenix Rising? It's a two-part documentary on HBO Max about Evan Rachel Wood telling her story of abuse and survival at the hands of Marilyn Manson. Lara Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Phoenix Rising?
5: I'm gonna give a thumbs up, not because this is something that was easy to watch, but a thumbs up because... The fact that Evan Rachel Wood, this is basically her story. This is not a story that's told from everybody else's point of view. This is her journey. This is her story. And she puts herself out there in a way that is very different than we have seen her before in, you know, Westworld and other movies and and things we've seen her in. And so to see the story through her eyes, through her lens, was extremely powerful. And it was very, very brave. Now, I would say it was also probably one of the most disturbing things that I have watched in terms of the level of torture. I mean, there was one scene we didn't even talk about it in our review where like there was like electrocution of genitalia so if if you are somebody that's going to be triggered by this, you may not want to watch it. But I think it was again just another in sort of a string of these same type of cases where we see powerful men in Hollywood and powerful men in music and powerful men finally being exposed. And I think that having Evan Rachel Wood be the one to tell her story in this way was just, I thought it was very powerful. To be clear, we don't see that scene. We hear about it. Just our yes. listeners, yeah, are <laughs> yeah. to yeah, yeah. this Sorry, part. sorry. Uh,
2: <laughs> Toby Ball, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Phoenix Rising?
4: Yeah, so a couple of things. One is like if you hear about like what this is about and you feel like you might be triggered like you probably will be I mean the stuff you hear about is really really difficult and I think you know would be really much harder if it wasn't so clear that Evan Rachel Wood is sort of in control of what's going on and so it's on her terms which I think makes it sort of bearable that being said the story is rough as is anything that I think that we've We've reviewed, or at least close to it. Um, it. It's really well done. Evan Rachel Wood is is, is compelling and smart, and, and and able to you know be insightful and articulate about trauma in a way that I think I, I found you know sort of compelling and affecting. You know, it's hard to say oh, you got to go, you got to see this because it is it is it's it's super super tough. And I know that there are people who I know who I would definitely not recommend it to because I I think it would be too disturbing for them or be triggering. But if it's something that you feel like you can handle, I mean, it's really, really well done. I think the fact that she wants to tell the story makes it the kind of thing that should be heard. It's an incredible piece, but it's a tough watch. So I guess that's a thumbs up, (laughs) you
3: know, A highly qualified thumbs up. (laughs) Kevin Flynn. I'm going to go with a thumbs up. This is very powerful. It shares a lot of its DNA with uh, Alan versus Pharaoh. I mean, it names names. It tells a brutal, moving story of abuse, and it resets a Hollywood narrative. The bonus, though, in this time for this documentary is that we see much of this happening in real time with uh, Evan trying to not only come to terms with her traumatic past, but also move the ball downfield in the legal system to see something done. This was a story where it starts off with a very common tale of grooming and isolation and the elements of many domestic violence cases, but it is fueled with rocket fuel of the uh, rock and roll lifestyle and money and that kind of power, and it just is so disturbing above and beyond a common domestic violence case. It has so many other elements that are just multiplied by the fact that the accused is a super creeper. So uh, I'm going to say that, yeah, I agree. It's it's uh, triggering, and you may have to brace yourself, but if you want to see a powerful depiction of somebody telling their truth and confronting their past, this is it. Thumbs up for Phoenix Rising.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. It is very triggering. It is also very, very good. Evan Rachel Wood is a really fascinating figure, especially if you've been a fan of um, Westworld and contemporary media that she's been a part of. It just—it's another look at just like the complete and total like rot of power and money and celebrity. And male power and money and celebrity really does seem like unique to male celebrity culture that like you can pretty much be anything and do anything you want. And it's just like fine, whether or not it's bad behavior or illness or, you know, Kevin, I was thinking while you're watching this and it's it's not the same at all, but it reminds me so much of it in the documentary Genius about Kanye West when he's like very clearly Very clearly mentally ill. People around him are just like, oh, hey. And he's like, he's not well. But Mm -hmm. like people, executives are just on the phone with him, just pretending like it's fine because this is what they do, you know? And people around this man, Marilyn Manson, who's clearly an abuser, clearly doing things that are harmful and closing the door because that's just what they do. This is just the way that rich and powerful men just are. If there's money on the table, they just ignore it. Um, and it's just heartbreaking in this instance because it's women in this instance who are paying the price. And I don't know. I just think we need to see it. I know it's difficult, but I think we need to see it. And I think that if you're tempted to look away, but you can handle it, I think you should watch it. So, thumbs up for me for Phoenix Rising. I think it's a must watch if you can on HBO Max. All right. That should probably do it for us. But before we go, Laura Bricker, I have to ask do we have. A cat of the week this week. We have a dog, Rebecca. Oh, thank Mm. goodness. It's my favorite kind of animal.
5: I know. And this comes as a suggestion. So Shelba Pittman, who is a member of the Brichter Scale Group, shared about an Ohio therapy dog, Annie Rose, who won the 2022 Cadbury Bunny tryouts (laughs) and got her own candy commercial. But what... Um, she was saying it was a therapy dog, and apparently Shelba also has a therapy dog. So then I wanted to learn about her dog, and her dog's name is Bowser. And so Shelba has epilepsy, and he has seen her through two full blown seizures. He starts to circle around her legs. He tries to make her lay down or sit down. He's uh, I've never heard of this cheweenie a chowini
6: oh chowini
5: a ch-weenie. And After she sits down, he'll sit on her feet to make sure she's not walking. Um, he's a lovely dog. He's very cute. She got him for Christmas 2020. He was just weaned. And, um. Does he eat some cheweenies? He does. So the lady, Kathy, that gave Bowser to Shelba said he was, uh, the littlest boy with the loudest bark. And she was in love the first time she held him. So I love, uh, therapy animals and I love this story. And by the way, I love the fact that this dog won the bunny contest and he has ears on his head. So. Many things about this made me happy.
2: All right. So, Lara Bricker, if folks want to send their uh, cat of the weenies into you, uh, they, of course, they can email us at crimewriterson at gmail.com. But if they want to tweet them to you, how can they find you on Twitter?
5: Uh, they can find me at Laura Bricker.
2: And Toby Ball, if folks want to reach out to you and say, hello, Toby Ball, I would like to get abducted by an alien. How can they find you on Twitter?
4: At Toby Ball NH.
2: Of course, because you are the expert on where the aliens can find everyone. Exactly,
4: (laughs) and Kevin (laughs) Flinn, folks
2: would (laughs) would like to reach out to you and say. Hey, Kevin, thank you for taking care of Rebecca during her horrible week of illness. How can they find you?
3: I'm at Kevin P. Flynn.
2: And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram and see how high I am on Afrin, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and please join our incredible community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. Just go to Facebook, search for Crime Writers On, you'll find our regular page, and then hit join the group. Support the show at Patreon.com. Partners in Crime Media. You'll get the Crime Writers on After Show. You'll get Married with Podcast. You'll get Lara Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast. And you'll get Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the very handsome Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi Studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we would burn all of our Marilyn Manson CDs if only we had any Marilyn Manson CDs. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you
3: later. Later. You're in a new location, so...
5: I'm in my office.
3: Wasn't that the first time you did... It was the office? first time I
5: did it, but I, yeah. I like doing it in the office. It's kind of like I don't know.
3: Toby, Lara likes doing it in the office.
5: <laughs> I don't.
3: Right on, man. <laughs>
1: The new 2024 Ford F-150. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Available starting early 2024. Optional features, the owner's manual for important operating instructions.